Today's scripture is a reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verses one to four. A wise child loves discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of their words, good persons eat good things, but the desire of the treacherous is for wrongdoing. Those who guard their mouths preserve their lives. Those who open wide, their lips come to ruin. The appetite of the lazy craves and gets nothing, while the appetite of the diligent is richly supplied. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, it's so good to see you all on this holiday weekend and to welcome you into worship uh, on the first day of September. It's hard to believe that September has arrived and a little break. Uh, for our students and teachers this weekend, a day off tomorrow, for which I'm sure we're all grateful that on Labor Day we do not labor on that day, and it's great to be together today. We have some, uh, some fo- the Greens, uh, a special greeting to you, Aubrey, and to Alacy, how great it is to have you all with us. Uh, we're so blessed by your presence today and by our partnership together. Uh, we have friends also from Georgia in the ranks that I see who are with us today, and we welcome you. Uh, we especially welcome you on Sunday, not as much yesterday, uh, but we welcome you today. There'll be others throughout the day, I'm warned, that will be here from Lawrenceville and Athens and Georgia and all over. And frankly, the game last night made me especially grateful for baseball. Very grateful. In fact, the game yesterday afternoon in Knoxville made me superbly grateful for basketball yesterday. And so, uh, our Georgia friends, we're glad that you're here, and it's a great joy to see each of you. Well, if you're visiting with us today, uh, we've come to the fourth message in this series on Proverbs that we're choosing to call Wise Up, recognizing that we live in what we call the age of information, where we have this surplus of knowledge, but along with that, we seem to have a deficit when it comes to wisdom. And we've talked about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of information, while wisdom is the application of information and knowledge. And so we're working through uh, these nutshells of wisdom, no more than eight to 14 words, usually in 31 chapters, that I sometimes refer to as literary or theological fossils that contain universal truth. And so in the first three weeks, we've talked about the correlation of wisdom to reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The word fear, yirah, means reverence. And so we've talked about the origin and goal of wisdom is reverence. And the antithesis is also true that foolishness begins with irreverence. And then we talked about chapter 3, verse 5, probably the most off-quoted of the Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And we define that word trust in the Hebrew sense as to put one's whole weight on and not to bank only on your own opinion or your perspective. And then last week in chapter 6, we took, a, we took a look at a bug's life. We looked at the ant, and we talked about how wisdom is connected to a good work ethic. 
No one ever drowned in his own sweat. Indeed, work was not a curse, it was a gift. According to Genesis 2.15, when God created all that is, God created humanity, He placed them in a garden where they were to work and to till that garden. Wisdom brings with it a good work ethic. This morning, I want us to think for a few minutes about the correlation of wisdom and discipline. The word discipline in Hebrew is an interesting word. It's musar, musar, which literally means instruction, teaching, correction, or admonishment. In fact, you see this word 51 times in the sacred canon. A half of those are in Proverbs. One old 11th century rabbi once said, Musar is the science of the inner life. I think that's true. I have a fear that in our postmodern context that we have so overemphasized self-esteem and self-expression, sometimes to the detriment of self-discipline of self-control. John Wooden, you remember the great UCLA coach, basketball coach, said, and I quote, discipline yourself so others won't need to. Discipline, self-control. Richard Nisbet, longtime professor of social psychology at the University of Michigan, declared that self-control is a and maybe the key indicator of fruitfulness and success. In fact, Paul said something similar in Galatians in that laundry list of the fruit of the Spirit, there is at the end this idea of self-control. Said Dr. Nisbet, if I had to choose, I'd rather my child be high in self-control more so than intelligence. Well, the reality is they go together, don't they? Wisdom and discipline, there's a correlation. I was reading the other day that Roy Bomeister, who was for many years at Case Reserve, Western University, also agreed with this notion. He said, if we're concerned about raising children to be healthy and happy, then we don't need to only talk about self-esteem. We need to concentrate on self-control. And don't look now, but it seems that Dr. Bomeister has been reading Proverbs. And so we come to this text. Chapter 13, verse 1, a wise child loves discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. There's the correlation, wisdom and discipline. The message, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, says it like this, intelligent children listen to their parents, foolish children do their own thing. And there's three or four little nuggets here. Some of them are implicit that I want to bring out for our attention before we come to the table. The first is this. In order to teach discipline, it not only demands good curriculum or good teaching, it demands a good teacher. In other words, we need more than good explanations. We need good examples we need good examples, mentors, models, guides, because the, children, the truth is, haven't you noticed, that children 
don't always do what we say, they do what we do. You notice that? I I think maybe that's why Paul said to Titus in chapter 2, encourage the youth to be self-controlled in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. And in your musar, in your instruction, in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Next week, I'm going to talk about that, the correlation between wisdom and the way we talk, speech. I'm going to talk about Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You remember Jesus' critique of the religious authorities? He came down pretty hard on them. He said in Matthew 23, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they occupy the positional authority. And therefore, he said, you must do what they tell you to do, but do not do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. Good exegesis is not enough. We need good examples. And this leads to another implicit truth in this proverb, and that is simply this. I've come to believe that the most important education that you will ever get doesn't come from the academy, doesn't come from the university, doesn't even come from the theology school, it doesn't come from the classroom or the lab, it comes from the hallways of your own home. And parents, grandparents, you're the faculty. You see it over and over in the wisdom literature. Hear, my child, your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching. Over and over and over and over, and I've come to the conclusion that the most important school in the world is homeschool. Everybody needs some homeschooling. I'm not talking about alternative learning now. I'm not talking taking away from our teachers and counselors and coaches, you know, I don't have to tell you, in Nashville, we're blessed with some of the finest of the fine. In Brentwood and Williamson County, when it comes to educators, public and private. But your home is also a classroom. In fact, it's the most important school. We're gonna start confirmation next Sunday Many sixth graders will be coming, and we always talk with their families on the first day to say to them that the most important people in our spiritual formation as children is not pastors, although I hope you need, no, you need your pastors. Yes? Amen? Yeah. You need preachers, but they're not the most important in spiritual formation, nor are teachers, counselors, coaches. They're parents the most important teachers in spiritual formation. Dr. Samuel Sava, who started Project Head Start, who died about 10 years ago, who was for many years the head of the National Association for Elementary School Principals, said, and I quote, listen to this, it's not better teachers, it's not better texts or curriculum that our children need most, it's better childhoods And we will never see lasting school reform until we see parent reform. 
Maybe that's why Josh McDowell said, train up a child the way he should go and walk there yourself now and then. Some of you maybe were here last weekend on Sunday morning at 11.05. The altar was covered with pre-K, preschoolers and their families who received their first Bible, the Beginner's Bible. We had a lunch after. And some of the dads, not just the kids, but some of the dads told me that they love this Bible best of all. And I said, why? And they said, because there are more pictures than words. Guys like pictures. And when he said that, it was a reminder to me that C's and G's, children and grandchildren, what they need the most is not just our advice, not just our words. They need a picture of faith in action. They need some homeschooling. There's another assumption, another implicit truth in the text that I think needs our attention. And that is, in this proverb, and in many of these proverbs, there is the presumption that the parent-teacher is worthy of respect, is living in a way that is worthy of honor. In fact, this notion of respecting elders is inherent in the Judeo-Christian tradition, isn't it, in our heritage. You see it in the Decalogue in Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your mother and father that the days of your life may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So by the sound of that text, the sustainability of the entire culture, nation, depends on honor. I love that word honor in the Hebrew, kabod, which means something or someone of great weight. So that when you in conversation say of another person, hey, what you say, what you think carries great weight with me, that means I honor you, means I respect you, means I value you. And that same principle is said in the New Testament to come into play within our families and within our own church, says Paul, honor one another above yourselves. In the New Testament, Paul sees that this role, particularly in a paternalistic society, can be abused. And so he gives a word of warning in Ephesians 6, 4, dads, don't exasperate your children, don't provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the musar, in the training, in the teaching and discipline of the Lord. And so what that tells me is that honor goes both ways. Moms and dads honor your children, children honor your parents. There's one other piece I want to mention before we come to the table in Proverbs 13. I believe that discipline is not just a mark of wisdom, I think it's a sign of love. In fact, I know it is. Hebrews chapter 12 also agrees in quoting a couple of verses from Proverbs where it says, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is a form of love. And it sounds a little bit like a verse that occurs later in Proverbs 13 that may be distressing to some of us, spare the rod, spoil the child. Remember that? Some of us were raised with that. The verse goes on to say, but those who love their children are diligent to discipline them. I'm not advocating for corporal punishment at this point. I'm talking about discipline. My parents did not spare the rod. When I was a boy growing up off Whitland Avenue, right off West End, discipline was pretty important in our home. In PKs, it either is or it isn't. There's no in-between. And I initially, if I'm honest with you, I obeyed my parents because I was afraid of them as a little one. My mother was known a time or two to use what we call the switch. Uh, She was gracious. She usually let us pick it. (laughs) But I remember on one day, after a tiny, small, little misdemeanor, she told me to go outside in the backyard and find a switch and bring it back so she could do justice. I was out there for maybe 10, 15 minutes. She was wondering, and I came back inside with a flower. (laughs) And I said, Mother, I've searched the yard. I could not find a switch, but I saw this flower, and it made me think of you. (laughs) It didn't work. I don't remember much after that. Had a lot of therapy. I think she went out the door and found an old hickory stick, and she educated me. I say all that to say this to you. When I was a boy, I obeyed my parents because I was afraid. But along the years, fear turned into respect, and respect became love, and love became honor. I didn't want to disappoint them. I could tolerate a switch or a rod, but I could not tolerate the disappointment that I might become to them, and I wanted to honor them most of the time. (laughs) There was a season in my teenage years that I was a scoffer, but I got over it, and they lived through it, and I discovered that discipline and love are two sides of the same coin. I did a funeral a couple weeks ago for one of our men His widow is here. Julie is here. His name, Howard Littlejohn. He was 94. A Navy man who served in the South Pacific during World War II. A man of few words, but my, what wisdom. His children, he loved his children, and they worshipped him. He loved Vanderbilt baseball and football. Very wise man. Both Coach Corbin and Coach Mason were here for the funeral. Testimony to Howard. One of his grandchildren shared a line that day that still haunts me. It's profound. 20 years of age, she said, Granddaddy demanded respect in the least demanding way. That's discipline plus love. He was born and raised in DeKalb, Illinois. 
And in high school, I found out that he was in the band. I was in the band. He played a cornet. And his band director was a guy named Lawrence Fogelberg. Anybody recognize that name? You may know his son, Dan, singer-songwriter who died way too early. Dan has a cousin who's a member of our church, Harold Fogelberg. His grandfather and Dan's grandfather were brothers. Dan once wrote a song the year before his father died. He was devoted to his dad. The year before his father died, he wrote a song called The Leader of the Band. Howard Littlejohn was the leader of the band, and having had Mr. Fogelberg as his band director, I recited that text. I think it's appropriate today. An only child, alone and wild, a cabinet maker's son. His hands were meant for different work, and his heart was known to none. He left his home and went his lone and solitary way, and he gave to me a gift I know I never can repay. A quiet man of music, denied a simpler fate. He tried to be a soldier once, but his music wouldn't wait. He earned his love through discipline, a thundering velvet hand, his gentle means of sculpting souls, took me years to understand. The leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old, but his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living legacy to the leader of the band. That's what he thought about his dad. I had a father like that. I have a mother like that who understood the importance of homeschooling. Wisdom and discipline go together, and it starts at your own kitchen table. This morning, there's an invitation to come to a table of a teacher who practices what he preaches and who calls us to do the same. Indeed, he is wisdom incarnate. And when you taste the bread and the cup, the call is for us to imitate the man and become the living legacy of he who is the leader of our band, even Jesus the Christ. James Dobson once said, we are so busy giving our children what we never had that we forget to give them what we did have. Homeschooling begins right here, right now, in our own backyard. In Jesus' name.